Kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy word. We pray now that we would be blessed by this study so that we would understand your, your New Testament, which speaks directly about the ministry and work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Guide us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. Um, today, I, it's, a, it's a semi-day of, of punting, although it still t- took, I still put, I think, a decent amount of work. And when I say about punting, I was going to tackle the issue of the, of, um, the, um, the canon of the New Testament. Okay? But, um, you know, and I, I read, and, and obviously I've read extensively on this, but not extensively enough. I came across a, a wonderful book, Beauty of Amazon, ordered, is there on Tuesday. But have I read a whole book since Tuesday to now, especially given I've had a little bit of a um, busy week, and so I punted. And so uh, instead, I, and then I, I, it's not really punting because I think it's, a, it's, a, it's actually a, it's a good day to, to look back a little bit further because earlier in the study, I said, if you're going to know the New Testament, you've got to know the Old Testament. And I left it at that, right? And so I said, maybe, maybe we want to speak a little bit more about the Old Testament um, for, for you. So, did everyone get a sheet? And are the, where's the excess sheets at? So are there excess sheets? Somewhere there. They're back on the back table. And raise your hand if you have a sheet. We'll get, get one to you. Okay. So um, I'm going to answer a question from last week. And then you can ask a couple questions. And, then, and if we never get into a study, it's fine. But I think we will. Okay. So what's the, proc- the, the population of Jerusalem at the time of Jesus? I went back into... Um, I have, this, I have this book, this very historic book in the history of the church, Jerusalem at the time of Jesus. Let's sift through it. About 25,000. About 25,000 is Jerusalem at the time of Jesus. Now, of course, there's no, you know, it, there, there's no exact records, but we think 25,000. Now, it would swell to 100,000 at the feast days, say Passover, uh, Pentecost, or Tabernacles. And that's another issue I like to do in this class is talk about um, seen in the New Testament overtones from the, the, the Jewish um, festival days, Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles. See how these uh, three key festivals and their themes from the Old Testament play in the New Testament. I'd like to do that later on the course, um, but that's not what we're going to do today. Okay, so before I go on, are there any questions that you have? about background to the New Testament, or just something about God in general, something you saw in the news. Any questions, comments? Um, by the way, they've uh, already had on Issues Etc. Um, if you do podcasts at all, Issues Etc. is, is king, um, where they did the, about the, the best archaeological um, excavations of the year and discoveries of the year 2021. They've already done it's great, including probably the one I remember from the episode the best. Well, there's two in particular. They actually found in Great Britain a full corpse of a crucified man. And so it's kind of, that's kind of interesting uh, because the Romans, um, now this should be after the time of Jesus, because the Romans uh, conquered Britain and then you have all the way up into York in, in northern Britain. I mean, and that's, you know, one of the reasons there's a difference between Scotland and, and, and England is because of the Roman occupation. I mean, that's a whole other whole discussion. But they found a fully 
the, the corpse of a fully crucified man, the full corpse of a crucified man. We've never had a complete corpse. It's kind of interesting. It shows the extent of crucifixion at the time of Rome. Um, and so that was kind of interesting. But the big one that I remember is they found a second synagogue at Magdala. You know, and so if you, and, and so, and so that's kind of interesting because the first synagogue was, was rather small. So this, this is probably a synagogue where more of the common people and the synagogue where Jesus probably went, went into, okay? And so, so you'd have more than one synagogue in places, which makes sense because um, in small villages across Europe, you know, with villages large enough, you'd have more than one church, right? You know, because you need, you need to have places where people can worship. And that is in accord with the size of the community. Okay. So are there any questions before I get into um, kind of a, a, some of our sacramental, we're sacramental Lutherans, right? We love our sacraments because God gives those sacraments to be such a blessing to you and me. Sacramental theology is awfully important. And so I'd like to maybe go into the Old Testament and show sacramental theology in the Old Testament. Unless there's, I mean, but there's further questions. Any further questions? So... Okay, so um, I think fundamentally we have to understand that, that, that God loves his creation and, and at the base of how God works is through his word, right? And so in Genesis 1, 3, we have this marvelous verse, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Um, the text does not say, and God created lights. It says, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, of course, when you play this with John chapter 1, it gets even deeper than that because, because Christ is the Word, and he's now the Word made flesh. But my point today is God works through the Word to create light. And God speaks and is done. And so throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, God speaks and it is done. Jesus speaks and it is done. The Lord speaks, and it is done according to his word. Um, and this is why, you know, Hebrews can say the, the word of God is living and active. So, so the creation does not happen apart from the word. And so when we speak about sacramental theology, it is always in connection to God's creative and powerful word. And so the word of God is, is all important, both Old and New Testaments, okay? Now, we are given then later on in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 9, if we want to turn to Genesis chapter 9, um, this, uh, this, this the, the gift of the rainbow, okay? And this is a um, very, very important story. And said, um, And God said to Noah and his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, the every beast of the field, and every... Uh, okay, then verse 11, I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. All, right? I have set my bow in the cloud and shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature and all flesh. And the waters shall never again destroy, become a flood to destroy um, all flesh. So, so there you have the, the rainbow. 
is, is, um, is, is an object of God's promise, okay? And so whenever we see, in this to this day, when you see a rainbow, think of God's promise. And I think all the more so. I, obviously, the, the rainbow's been uh, subverted by our society, and it's uh, in, in, in tremendously right now. Um, yes, go ahead. Uh, okay. No, no, it's, it's, it's not. Uh, I, I did have to, you know, many of these passages I looked up in Hebrew this past week. Uh, um, I mean, because I, but what verse number exactly is that in Genesis? Uh, no. Yeah, yeah. I think it's going to be that way in the um, Genesis chapter um Nine and and it's what verse number exactly? We thirteen. Thirteen. Okay, thirteen. I will give. Um, yeah, and yeah, I, I think that's. Well, I, I don't know that the Hebrew would have a word for rainbow, and 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 I and I don't. And that's a real good question. At what point in time, linguistically, and what languages do they even develop this this word rainbow? I, I don't know. I don't know rainbow in other languages. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if I've ever come across rainbow in, in French or German or Greek or Hebrew. I've never. I mean, anyone know rainbow in another language? I don't know. I mean, it's a. Um, I don't know. I, it's, it's just, it's, I guess it's not common enough. So, so, and that's a good question. I, you know, you'll, you'll probably later on tonight, I'll go, into, I'll go into Luther's German Bible, see what he did right there, and so I, I have no idea. Um, so, anyway, good question. So, I, I, I don't know. So, so the next one I, I think is very important is the covenant of circumcision, okay? And it's, um, um, it's in Genesis chapter 17, and it's a, I think it's a tremendously important uh, point, um, and I'm going to start, um, okay, and then like verse 7, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you, to your offspring after you. And I'll give to you, I'm in, I'm in verse 7, give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And, Abraham, and God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you. This shall be the covenant that you shall keep between me and your offspring. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Notice the same language as the rainbow, right? He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who was bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant in your flesh be an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in flesh and his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Okay? So, so the circumcision is a, is a sign of the covenant of God and, it is, and, um, and God's promise to Abraham and to his people. And, and God will judge those who are uncircumcised and then, then surely also those who would uh, be ashamed of their circumcision um, as a sign of the covenant with God. 
There's this tremendously interesting story then, and, and it somehow did not make into Cecil B. DeMille's Ten Commandments movie, right? How many of you remember seeing that movie? Okay, okay. If you've not seen Cecil B. DeMille's Ten Commandments, uh, see it, watch it. It's long, it's great. Uh, it's not biblical, but I mean, it's, it's a, you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of things that go wrong in it. because of, now, now, what you have to do with Cecil B. DeMille's um, movie is remember it's, it's set in the 1950s, okay? And, and it might be helpful to look in the 1950s, two, two issues, both in terms of, of the background of communism in the 1950s, okay? But also the background of the, of the burgeoning civil rights movement. And so it's very helpful to, to watch that, that, that movie, you know, and so movies are never made in a vacuum, are they? So it's a, it's a kind, of, kind of interesting thing right, right here. Um, and then, then you have this, um, um, in, in, in Exodus chapter 4, okay, um, and then um, Exodus 4.24, at a, this is when Moses is going to return to Egypt. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah, Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and surely you're a bridegroom of blood to me. Moses had not circumcised his son and God was going to kill him. And so I, I think it's a backhanded way of, of pointing to the importance of circumcision. If you're going to be my servant, you better be obedient. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, and somehow it doesn't make it into the movie, right? You know, I mean, the circumcision of, 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 uh, of uh, Moses' son didn't make it into Cecil B. DeMille's movie. The only reason I bring it up is to illustrate the importance of, of circumcision, and circumcision is very important. And then later on, of course, on the eighth day, Luke chapter 2, 21, Jesus is circumcised on the eighth day. And by the way, there's something we did on that one week, you know, when I taught um, the... the um, on January 2nd, we went to Luke chapter 2. There is more of a division in, in Luke chapter 2 between verses 3 and 4 than between 20 and 21 grammatically, okay? So we, we forget that, that Luke would want us to understand the story of Jesus, not Luke 1 through 20, and at the shepherds. The story of Jesus includes his whole infancy, and that's how Luke wants you to see it, and thereby... And, I, and, and so that's how, as Christians, we need to see the whole chapter all together, all the way to, to Jesus 40 days old. There's a slight break between uh, 39 and 40 then, um, and then, then you have the story of Jesus at age 12. But in, in reality, Luke wants to give us one shot of Jesus, his whole childhood, all at once. And so reading the whole chapter together is very helpful. Okay. Um, Next, we have the, the Passover, and I'm not going to go into it. I think we're familiar with the, the details of that. In that you put the blood of the lamb, right, on the, on the doorpost and on the lintel uh, to save you from the angel of death. And this frees Israel from slavery. Okay, so it has a save from and a save for aspect. I think it's very important when we, we think in terms of sacraments. They save from, but also save for. Now, now, there is no question that this kind of funny thing. So, so um, obviously, I come from Savannah, Georgia, right? And they, we are surrounded by Baptist types. I grew up in, in high school, and I was going to be a Lutheran pastor, but I hung out with the, with the, the real kind of go-go Christian types, right? 
you know, and of course, they're almost all evangelical. So once in a while, you get in discussion over and over time. I can't remember this discussion was in high school. Probably not. I think it was in college when I had this discussion. Found a, a Baptist, and, a, and they just they can't understand sacrament theology whatsoever, right? You know, that, you know, baptism is only a sign of your commitment to Jesus. Lord's Supper is only a memorial meal. They can't understand all, all this. And so the question to, to ask, like, somebody who's like, like, like this can't understand sacraments and say, well, what would have happened if an Israelite said, oh, I just believe in the Lord, so I don't need to put any blood on my doorpost? What's the clear statement? Your firstborn's going to die. So that blood does something. Now, now obviously, you no longer have that blood. Of course, it's, it's a silly old thing. I, I see I'm Mrs. Dunwell right here, Mrs. Janetsky, so so... So sometimes I'm sure when I've gone to the day school, I ask the question, if you put blood on the doorpost of a second-grade classroom, what's going to happen? Nothing. Well, it's going to stink, and whoever did it is going to have to clean it up and see, you might get arrested for vandalism of school, right? I mean, you know, this is, it's, we don't have that promise anymore, right? And it's, that's, but, but they did, and it did save, and it did bring them out of Egypt. It, it saved them from the angel of death and also brought them out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So the Passover is extremely important. Okay. Then we have the story of the, the bronze serpent. The bronze serpent. And this is in the wilderness wanderings. By the way, the constant, constant theme of entirely the Old Testament is Israel's unfaithfulness. And only a remnant will be saved. I think this is extremely important for the Church of Jesus Christ now uh, is, is, is that you know, salvation is by faith in Christ alone, but there's no compromise to this. There's no compromise whatsoever. So the bronze serpent, we have this constant thing of, of what's going on, is that Israel fails, and then God curses. And then Israel repents, and then God blesses. So you have this kind of, where Israel fails, they grumble against Moses and the Lord, and then God sends these poisonous snakes, they repent, oh, we've sinned against you and against the Lord, and so make a, now it's, it's very interesting in the Hebrew right there, it's, it's, it's first it's, it's a fiery serpent, then later on Moses crafted a, a bronze serpent, okay? And so um, Hebrew adjective is used in two different ways right there. So, so, and then if you look upon that bronze serpent, the serpent bites you, you will be healed. Well, I just believe God will heal me anyway, so I don't need to have to look at any dumb old bronze serpent. That doesn't have anything. It's just, it's just a meaningless uh, little bronze serpent. I, I, but I'm trusting the Lord. Well, what would happen? You die, right? And so God attaches a promise to an object. Rainbow, God attaches a promise to an object. Blood on the door, God attaches a promise to an object. Serpent in the wilderness, God attaches a promise to an object. And so, as I go through the neighborhoods, though, I've not seen a ton of bronze serpents to ward off COVID, right? Okay, we don't have that promise. We don't have that promise. In fact, later on in history, the bronze serpent has to be destroyed because guess what Israel did? It, they fail, they fail, they fail. They turned it into an idol. And so, and so there, there you have the bronze serpent, okay? Any questions, comments? Keep on looking at the, the bleacher people. Hey, bleacher people. Hey, it's a, it's a, it's a, okay, you know. Uh, okay, waiting for the home run, huh? And so, okay, so. So I'm, I'm just, it, I, I love the, the, the bleacher people. So it's, a, it's, it's, it's great. So, okay. Um, actually, a little story. It's a, is that, is that, um, is that 
is that there's a, there used to be, the, and, and this is what reminds me of, believe it or not, I am a University of Georgia fan, right? You know, so, so they, they, they want, there used to be, before they, they add onto the stadium, there used to be a hill outside the stadium. You could sit on the hill and watch the game for free, but then they, they wanted to expand the stadium and 30,000 people, so they used to have all these people watching, but now you can't do that. There is one side that you can look into the stadium um, from, from afar. It's like a bridge o- over that because it's a very hilly town, and you can, but it's not nearly the, what's popular. So, so when you say hi, it's all the people who are outside the stadium still watching the game. Just like now, except it's just the opposite. If you want to sit in those rooftop stands opposite Wrigley, you know, we got the bleacher seats in Wrigley, but the rooftop stands, it is not for the cheap people, is it? You know, not, not at all, not at all. So, but you do have the, the bleachers at Wrigley, and you do have bleachers at other stadiums, but, but Wrigley is most famous for the bleachers over there. And so, so there's our bleacher people. God bless you. And so, so anyway, so, okay, I digress. So let's go into Naaman the Syrian. And this is, I could go on and on. I love this story. Naaman the Syrian, 2 Kings chapter 5. This is, by the way, with Elisha, who follows Elijah. How do you keep him straight? Alphabetical. J comes before S, okay, Elijah. But it's, it's fascinating, fascinating, you know, um, because John the Baptist is called Elijah, right? So is Elisha a type of the Christ? No, I, I, I kind of believe so. I haven't delved into that, that too much. Um, but there's also the parallel in the New Testament between Peter and Paul. You know, so, so I think both aspects, but I always thought, uh, and Pastor Ballas right here, I always thought, uh, um, you know, that, that perhaps if, I, if you write a, wanted to write a dissertation on the Old Testament for your PhD, you know, doing into the, the typology of Elisha as a, a Christ figure, you know, as the typology of, of, of Elisha and Christ, I, I always thought it would be a fascinating PhD topic. And, um, Needless to say, it's not going to get written by me. <laughs> so, so, so it's something, but, but you got, so Elisha is the prophet down in Israel, right? Okay, so you have Naaman the Syrian. He gets leprosy. And Naaman, by the way, is the head of the Syrian army. So he's a big kahuna in Syria. But even big kahunas get leprosy. It's terrible. I mean, it's a, a terrible disease. And we've talked about leprosy before. And so he has a slave girl brought as a slave from Israel, said, hey, there's a prophet in Israel can heal. So he goes to the king and says, well, you know, can I go? Am I allowed to go and seek healing? He says, yes. And so he goes to the king of Israel. The king of Israel, who's a pagan, by the way, this is important. Remember, all the kings of Israel were pagans in the sense of not believing in the one true God. And they were opposed to the one true God. And he thinks that this is terrible, that the king of, of Syria is trying to pick a battle with him because he can't heal leprosy. So Naaman does go then. Um, to Elisha, and Elisha uh, says, dip yourself in Jordan River water seven times and, and you'll be healed. And, uh, and Naaman just immediately doesn't know. And Naaman doubts the word of God. He says, we got better rivers than this. And probably at that time of year is true. The Jordan River, depending on whether it's rainy or dry season, can either be overflowing almost or just this little trickle. He says, the, uh, was it the Farpar, and what's the other one? I, I can't remember the other river. Or better than this old river. And then his servant says, hey, if he told you to do something difficult, you would have done it. Go wash. So he dips himself in. And here's the interesting thing. He is healed of his leprosy. But look at what it says. This is marvelous. His skin becomes like a baby's. I really enjoy right now. We watch our grandsons. My wife watches the grandsons full time. And then I get to see, well, not 
not you know holidays and stuff like this, but she watches them full time. So so I get on occasion you know chances to either help dress or to change diapers of little Owen. You know he's like nine months old. His skin is so soft. I just like rubbing his little belly. You know it's just so soft. No, notice what God did. He not only healed, he brought it back to the state of original creation. This is extremely important because obviously this story, you cannot miss the connection of Naaman the Syrian with the waters of baptism. What God has done for you in the waters of baptism. And so, and again, this total gift has a promise. Now, now, another silly little story though, is when we were studying in Israel, we were by the Jordan River. The only time I was ever by the Jordan River. We're by the Jordan River. And so these, uh, these young kids, we were jumping from this little bridge across the Jordan River. The Jordan River is really kind of shallow. And they're jumping into the Jordan River. And they climb up the bank and do it again. Right? You know, you can see kids doing this. And so one of the kids touched me. So therefore, I have no more acne ever again in my life. Is that right? No, 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 no. Of course not. Of course not. It's, 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 there's no promise in the Word. You know, another pastor... And uh, um, um, is when we were in Ohio, one of his members had a little bottle of Jordan River water and wanted the child baptized using that water. And the pastor flat out refused. Why? Why would he refuse? Because that water is no more special than any other water. It's the water and the word, right? So it's very, very important to under, understand that. And so I love the story. And obviously I've spent a lot of time in Naaman the Syrian, but I love the story because again, God's word, God's promise. If Naaman had just said, oh, I'm just going to believe the Lord heals me, but not gone in Jordan River water, would he have been healed? No. God attached the promise to an object. So I, I show this to show kind of a consistent sacramental theology, Old and New Testaments. Um, so I, um, it's something that, that I just want to show the class. So questions or comments, I could go further than, than, than this. This is by no means a full a full exposition of sacramental theology of the Old Testament. I, I, I would refer to uh, um, uh, you know, Paul Robbie or Jeff Gibbs uh, on, on, on these subjects uh, because they could do a much better job than I could. Uh, um, Paul Robbie was a, uh, he's retired now, Old Testament professor at St. Louis Seminary. Did you have Dr. Robbie? Yeah, I had Dr. Robbie uh, at Concordia and Arbor. You know, and so, so talk about, you talk about the type of guy you study under. Paul Robbie, when he was at the seminary, going through the seminaries in the normal length of time, oh, by the way, he didn't have Hebrew entering seminary, so he took it as a summer Hebrew student. And then, so he goes in seminary, but why? But he did take Greek in college, so while he's in seminary, he gets his master's in classics, Latin and Greek, from Washington University, simultaneously with the seminary, and by the way, he was a starter on the basketball team. He had a sweet shot, man, and so if you played him at IM, you never left him open, because he'd always... He never missed. I mean, he was just so. So in other words, he played sports, but also got simultaneously. Well, then he went to teach Concordia and Arbor, where I was as a new Greek professor. So I had him, for example, I took the Iliad under under Paul Rabe, because he has his masters in classics. Well, why is that Concordia and Arbor then? Remember, he was only a summer Hebrew student. He gets his PhD in what? <laughs> in Semitic languages, Old Testament Hebrew and other languages. And so then he, he get called to the St. Louis Seminary to teach Old Testament courses. And so this is, you know, he said it. He said, ah, how do you do this? And he says, well, just like an eight-hour day, you just study, and it just happens. And he said, 
yeah, yeah, come on, dude, don't talk to me this way, you know? And so, so but, but Paul Robbie would definitely know a little bit more about Old Testament sacramental theology than I, than I do, or, or Jeff Gibbs, who's a New Testament professor. Okay, so now I'd like to do something fun. Um, in preparation for this week, I thought about some like major passages that, 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 you know, of the Old Testament that connects you to the New Testament. Like Isaiah 7, 14, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, you shall call his name Emmanuel. But you know that passage, that's not too hard. You know, out of Bethlehem, Ephrathah uh, shall come the king. You know, M- Micah 5, 2. But I thought, and so there's other Old Testament passages you really can see the connection of Old and New Testament. Um, for example, um, you, you see, you know, like, um, I mean, if you, if you want to see the true depth of the suffering of the cross, in all of Scripture, where would you go? Two places, both in the Old Testament. Psalm 22, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus quotes that in Matthew and Mark. Or Isaiah chapter 53, by his stripes you have been healed. And, and he, was, he was stricken, smitten, and afflicted by God. And so the suffering of the Christ, the servant, in Isaiah 53. So, but you kind of know all that. You've heard that text. So let's look at some more minor passages. But there aren't minor. Okay. And, and, okay, and this is, and some of it you just have to put up with Pastor Schumacher here because these are just passages that struck me over the years. So, for example, in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, you have in the ESV, Maybe I've done this one before, but Adam knew Eve's wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Accepting, look at footnote three. Uh, Oh, no. No, excuse me, they didn't even do the footnote right. Okay. Okay. Cain is word for forgotten. So I'll just go, and it's not even in the the footnote. Um, I've gotten a, the Hebrew, though, says, I've gotten a man the Lord. Eve thinks immediately her firstborn is going to be the promised Christ of Genesis chapter 315. So, and and this is, so, now she's mistaken, but look at her faith that God will give the promise, because it's, because the Hebrew, your, your, your English Bible will say Genesis 315, offspring, right? The, The Hebrew is seed seed right there in Genesis 3.15. Now, in Genesis chapter 22 becomes much more important because in, in Acts and Galatians, especially in Galatians 3.16, uh, with the promise to Abraham and to your seed, Paul takes that and, 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 and reminds you that seed, when he does this in Galatians chapter 3, is, 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 is an individual seed from Abraham, just one. And that's, that's connection of, of the promise in Genesis, I think, I think uh, I think 22 with Galatians 3.16. But I just want to show this, show this to show you the, the faith that Eve had that God would send an incarnate Lord. And so this is not made up between the Testaments. It's not made up by the New Testament writers. It's right there. Eve believes the promise of God in Genesis 3. If you listen to the podcast, you heard pounding now. And then... She's mistaken, but she hopes that her firstborn will be that promised son of God, right? So the incarnate one. Okay, and so um, now that's just one passage. And this is rather eclectic what I'm doing right now today, but I just want to show you some passages that we often overlook. Uh, Let's turn to Exodus chapter 19. 
Exodus chapter 19, 1 through 6. I think the whole of Exodus 19 is extremely important for you to understand. Um, Exodus 20 is the Ten Commandments, right? Okay, and, and a lot of people know that. And if, in case, like, like, important chapters of the Bible. How do you know um, where the Ten Commandments are? Well, there's two tables of the law. So you take Exodus 20, divide by... You take Ten Commandments and multiply by ten, by two, excuse me. So you Ten Commandments times two, Exodus 20. Okay? Okay? And probably takes you longer than just saying Exodus 20, right? You know, so just... Uh, but at least... Okay, so, but sometimes memory games are helpful. But Exodus 19, to show you Mount Sinai, the third moon, okay, they, okay, they set up for Ephraim, and keep on going down, and Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him out of the mountain, then thus you shall say to this house of Israel, that, to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, and by the way, um, that, that's important, that's, that's an element of, of, of especially of Hebrew poetry, is to repeat something. So Jacob and Israel are the same person, because Israel is 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 Jacob's new name given to him when he wrestles the Lord um, at the brook Jabbok. And, and, so, and, and so remember that Israel is all one big family. And the church of God right now is all one big family because you've been baptized and you're brothers and sisters in Christ. You yourselves have seen what it did to the Egyptians. I destroyed them, right? How I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Israel, in the Old Testament, was to be for the whole world a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Okay? How well does Israel do that in the Old Testament? They, they don't. They're, they're utter, utter failure, right? Okay, and so, and so now, now couple that. Much later in, in history, so this is in Israel's history, turn to Hosea chapter 1. There's a method to my madness, by the way. Okay, Hosea chapter 1, and Hosea... Okay, i got to get to my minor prophets. Hosea chapter 1. Hosea is told... Um, Take in verse 2 of Hosea chapter 1. The Lord said to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Okay. And then um, they have a first child, Jezreel, for in a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel and put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. Okay. And then verse 6. And she conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Call her no mercy, for I will no more have mercy in the house of Israel to forgive them at all. So this is the northern kingdom. I'm going to judge them. And no, so, so, so in Hebrews, Lo Ruchamah is, 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 is this daughter's name. Okay? And then, and then in verse 8, when she had weaned no mercy, Lo Ruchamah, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, Call his name not my people, Lo Ami. Is, is the Hebrew for that, and you, for you're not my people, and I am not your God. Wow. And so you condemn this with the, with the failure to be a kingdom of priests. This is why when you turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, listen to what God has said for us, his baptized people, in 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 9. And I don't, there's much else in the whole chapter of 1 Peter 2. Verse 9. For you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. 
Where is this from? Exodus 19, right? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you're not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you're not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. The reverse of Hosea chapter 1. And so, and so this is why, so if you, if you don't understand this Old Testament, you, you miss this. And especially, I want to point those two chapters, Hosea 1, Exodus 19. By the way, in Exodus 19, if you go further, you can't even touch this mountain. You can't even touch this mountain. And as thunder and lightning is a terrifying place, right? And so this, so this is taken up in Hebrews chapter 12, that you don't come to this mountain. But you come to Mount Zion, so, so you're not going to be saved by the law, folks. You can't do it. The law is actually going to terrify you. But you're saved by grace in his son, Jesus Christ. And that's what you've come to him. And, of course, you come in the Lord's Supper to a blood that speaks better than the blood of Abel. That's in Hebrews chapter 12. So, so I, 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 that is, I think, I, I firmly believe Hebrews chapter 12 is, is speaking about the Lord's Supper and that, that the salvation that Christ brings you in his Holy Supper. Okay. Um, questions, comments about any of these Old Testament passages? Not too much in the weeds, am I? I mean, I just want to show you the kind of connection of the two testaments. So, in Exodus chapter 33, okay, you, you have um, Moses' intercession for the people of Israel, okay, um, and then... Um, And so he intercedes for the people of Israel. And then, um, and then I'm going to start at um, verse 18. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me, where you shall stand in the rock, and, my when my, and while my glory passes by, so I'll put you in a cleft of the rock, and I'll cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I'll take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face you shall, shall not be, be seen. Okay? So Moses sees the back side of, of God. Okay? Now, combine this with um, 1 Kings chapter 19. By the way, where is Moses when this takes place? He's on Mount Sinai, right? Okay, so in 1 Kings chapter 19, you have the story of Elijah, okay? Now, 1 Kings 19 is this tremendous chapter. 1 First, First Kings 18 is Elijah and the prophets of Baal. You got 400 of them. It's just, it's just kind of funny. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's hilarious. I think you've probably heard this before, but, but the prophets of Baal, they're cutting themselves and moaning and wailing. And so Elijah says, hey, what's wrong? He says, he says, I know. Maybe the Hebrews, maybe Baal is constipated. That's why he's not coming out of the John. You know, maybe Baal is constipated. Oh, I know, he's taking a nap. You know, so he's just making, he says, put a lot of water. Make, and he makes a stone altar, a lot of water, and, and, and got one prayer, boom, it's got, kills all the prophets of Baal. Everything's hunky-dory, right? No. Jezebel says, this time, what happened to the prophets of Baal is going to happen to you, so Elijah's just crushed. He's absolutely crushed. So he flees the northern part of Israel, goes all the way down through Judah, goes the southern part of Judah, down into the, um, um, I, I think, they say Negev or Arabah, but it's, he goes down um, to, um, to, to this really 
hot and inhospitable place down the southern part of Judah that we talked about last week. We talked about geography. And he says, you know, um, take my life. I'm no better than my father's. Um, and he just wants to die. And then God says, feeds him and says, get up. Go to, go to Mount Sinai. Go to Horeb. Right? He calls it Horeb in this chapter. And so now it's a journey. It's a 40 days journey. So he goes there. He waits on the mountain. And then God speaks to him, especially. Um, and then, then you have, okay, um, and then I'm, in, I'm starting at verse 11. He said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And by the way, there's an earthquake while Moses was on Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus, okay? And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out, stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? For I've been very jealous for the Lord, for the Lord of hosts, for the people of Israel forsaken, throw down the altars. And I, I only am left and seek my life. But the Lord appears to Elijah in a still, small voice. So, so Moses sees the backside, and Elijah only meets God in the still, small voice. Okay, now why am I doing all this is to, is to turn over in John chapter 1. In John chapter 1 is, is um, John 1 chapter, chapter 1 verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then the Hebrew, and the Greek were right there to so make a tent with us. He's he he with us. He he uh, harkening back to the Old Testament tabernacle where God, the presence of the Lord was in the tabernacle. Okay, and we have seen His glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we've seen His glory when you see the incarnate Son, Jesus Christ. No one ever sees God in His full glory, or do they? There's another question because you have Exodus 24, but you also have the Mount of Transfiguration, but the full. The full, full, full glory of God will only be seen in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Um, but I point these passages to help illuminate this, this wonderful Christmas passage. So if you want to see God, you see him in his son, Jesus Christ. And now, my brothers and sisters, don't look for visions and stuff like this. You look for Christ in his word and in his sacraments. And so, and so for example, um, when you come by... And, and this is something I try to be intentional. Sometimes I'm sloppy. I understand that. Forgive me. But when you come to that altar and you kneel before the altar, I hold up the host to you. Like I do at the, at the, at the, after the words of institution. I hold up the host to the whole, whole assembly. But I hold up individually to you the true body of our Lord Jesus Christ. I hold it up to you so you can see it with your eyes. I just don't pull it from the platter, from the patent, and put it in your mouth. But I hold it up for you and say, the, the true body of Christ, the true body of Christ, because there's where the promise of God is. He, he attaches a promise to an object, and there you have Christ for you, for your forgiveness of sins. Rejoice, my brothers and sisters, in this blessed sacrament. Okay. Okay. Um, ah, got two more minutes. Okay, what am I doing here? Okay. Um, this week, okay, you learn something new all the time. You learn something new all the time. The last book of the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible is Chronicles. How does Chronicles begin? It begins with the genealogy. The genealogy of, of Israel showing that 
and, and how is this, you know, but of Abraham and a genealogy of David. How does the New Testament begin then? Look at Matthew chapter 1, 1. And this is, and so, I, I found this fascinating. I learned this this week, and so, I, so you have to excuse me for being giddy about this. So the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So what Matthew is doing for you is showing that the, the Old Testament ends, the last book is Chronicles, we talk about the genealogy, showing the genealogy of David and, and, and Abraham, right? And so the New Testament will begin, picks up with the Old Testament, and, and again, the book of Chronicles, the theology of Chronicles, is very much concerned with the throne of David. And so the New Testament will begin to show that Jesus is really the, the fulfillment and the continuation of the promises of God in the Old Testament. And so the two Testaments are intimately linked with that order. Yes? Okay, well, yeah, yeah, it's a, there's a, okay, well, okay, that's, no, 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 it's a, it's a real great question. Yeah, we do not follow the order of the Hebrew Old Testament. We, we have tended, and, and, that's a, and I'm going to say, you know, there's, there's, a, um, there's a lot of different languages I can say I don't know. You know, it's, it's a, I, I can't remember exactly, but, but I do know the original Hebrew would have ended, if I, and I checked it this week, I went to my Hebrew Old Testament and looked at the, the, the Hebrew first Chronicles chapter, by the one Chronicles is only one book. The Hebrew Old Testament would only have 22 books because you break up books, because all the minor prophets are called the Book of the Twelve in the Hebrew, Hebrew Old Testament. So it's the Book of the Twelve, um, and so that's how you get add more. So you, you gotta get up to 39, right? Lamentations is connected to Jeremiah, and was it, there's one other book that I, I, Ruth is connected to, Judges, I think. So, so, uh, so you have 22 books, and then what, what I think happens over time is that we tend, later on, and that, I'll, I'll, I'll go back and research it, uh, in two weeks from now. So the question would be, is that we tend to, to view the, these books as historical. So the Torah, then you had Joshua, Judges, and then, you know, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. By the way, Chronicles is separated from Kings in the Hebrew Testament. Chronicles is put over here, and Kings is an entirely different place. So it's a, um, I think, no, I could be wrong. I could be wrong on a lot of things, by the way. So it's a, so, but, it, but we order different ordering, but our numbering system is, is, is different. In that, and I know I'm supposed to know this, but I don't. You know, so sorry. So it's a great, it's, it's actually a good question. Why did we change the order of the Old Testament? It's, it's, why, why is that? You know, and, and, but this helps me. What? Oh, the chronological Bibles really play, play with your head because then, then you have books entirely out, out of order. For example, chronological Bible would, would then place, you know, the, the, the epistles of Paul in a different order and, a, and, and really plays with your, 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 your head. Um, and I actually have a chronological Bible, and it's, but I, I don't know. So uh, um, it's a good question. So on that, I am going to be in, I, have a, I won't be here. Pastor Clemmer will be teaching Bible class next Sunday. Uh, he'll be back. And I'll be in Georgia, um, attending Trinity Lutheran, my home church. My, my nephew's getting married on Friday, so I'm flying to Savannah. And, uh, and of course, and of course, I just looked, and my, my brother texted me, you know there's a chance of snow in Savannah, Georgia next Friday. You know, so I don't need to hear that. Because <laughs> you know, the, the wedding is actually uh, down, it's in a chapel, so it probably, it's, a, it's, it's in a venue that is in Tybee, which is right by the beach. And so I was hoping to get a little beach time. I guess I'll bring my parka anyway. So, so, uh, 